I do read the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, but most people, most cardiologists don't. Okay, and so if you're if you are not exposed to the literature, you don't have a chance to become a vegan because you don't know this stuff is going on. That's Dr. Kim Williams, and this is Bananas. Hey there, how are you doing? Welcome to another episode of This Is Bananas. Super excited for today's episode. I feel like I always say that, but today is with Dr. Kim Williams. Dr. Williams is a cardiologist and the former president of the American College of Cardiology. Ah, yeah, you know, no big deal. Maybe you guys know him from his famous quote. There are two kinds of cardiologists, vegans and those who haven't read the data. That's pretty powerful. So last month, I had the privilege of attending the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine in Washington, D.C. that was hosted by the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. So super big thank you to them for allowing me to attend this and to have some time to speak with Dr. Kim Williams. Such a great event. Definitely recommend if you're in the area or if you can travel next year to one of these PCRM events, highly recommend it. If you guys want to know more about the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine, I posted a really fun vlog on there. We had some great food, amazing lectures with people like Dr. Greger, Dr. Barnard, Dr. Ornish was there, Dan Butner, Dr. Kim William, of course, and many, many other great speakers. We also had the chance to go in front of the White House to share a very important message, which is go vegan. It's great for your health, great for the animals, great for the planet, win, win, win all around. So yeah, such an amazing event, such an honor to have been there. Super thankful to PCRM for allowing me to go. And in this episode, I sit down with Dr. Kim Williams and we cover topics relating to cardiology such as dietary cholesterol, saturated fat, omega-3 fish oils, heme iron, are all these things good for cardiovascular health or are they not? We also talked about the changes that need to take place in healthcare as well as some other topics. So here's my conversation with Dr. Kim Williams. Dr. Williams, thank you so much for taking the time to, um, to spend some time with me and, and to talk. How are you enjoying the conference so far? Well, it's really, first of all, it's an honor and a privilege to actually speak. But just to be in the room <clears throat> with all the energy and all the information right. and the science that's being that's going on, it's actually tremendous yeah. experience. Yeah, a lot of great minds here for sure. And I had the pleasure of um, going to your talk this morning and listening in. So that great. was really great. Um, so yeah, I have some questions for you. I, I suppose we can get right into it. Mm-hmm. There's this big movement, and I'm not sure where it came from, but um, there's this notion that saturated fat is actually good for you. Um, I'm sure you've heard this by now, but a lot of people, I suppose, in the low-carb movement or the ketogenic um, movement, they're promoting saturated fat as a health food. I'm just wondering what your response is um, with all your years of experience with uh, cardiovascular disease. Sure. I would actually take this to the American Heart Association. Um, they noticed uh, all of these articles and you know, and this the fact that so many people are saying this and it doesn't fit with the medical literature. Uh, it's very damaging. Uh, it would increase the more saturated fat people are eating, 
It's bad for your cholesterol. It's bad for your uh, your weight, which right. will lead to diabetes and more heart attack, stroke, and death. So, uh, the American Heart Association's May of uh, 2017 in circulation, they actually did one of their presidential advisories specifically about saturated fat. And I think they've done a, a very fair job. By their own admission, there is one piece that they don't have clear, and that is the coconut oil, <clears throat> which right. comes up a lot. Very popular um, these days. And people really don't have prospective outcome randomized trials to say that coconut oil is good or bad. It doesn't seem to be quite as dyslipidemic. Okay. Maybe that's because the, the, uh, the saturated fat chains are, are shorter uh, than you get with animal products. But, but they did decide that at, <clears throat> based on opinion of experts that it should be avoided. But that's the only part that's controversial. The rest of it is just very clearly, if you're talking about getting people to do saturated fat, there's typically some, my own observations, <clears throat> there's some financial motivation. It's you're selling a book, you're selling a website or, or a diet or something like that. Um, can you lose weight on it? Yeah, if, you, if you're actually decreasing your total calories, it wouldn't matter. I mean, you could see what happens to a, Hockey player, when they get checked into the boards and they're drinking through a straw because they broke their jaw, if, they will, if you decrease your calories, and that's what happens with the ketogenic diets that are focused on meat and fat, you will feel bad enough uh, from it that, that ketosis makes your, suppresses your appetite. You don't feel like eating as much. You cut your calories. It wouldn't matter how. You get bariatric surgery, put a balloon in your stomach, blow it up. doesn't matter. You decrease the calories, you will decrease your weight. Right, right. And I think kind of what, what's been going with the saturated fat, people have been saying that dietary cholesterol doesn't actually affect um, LDL serum cholesterol. Mm -hmm. And I've heard this so many times, people yep. have brought this argument up. Yep. What are your thoughts on that? Is um, dietary cholesterol really a worry or is it just something that um, really doesn't have an effect on us? So I, ha I do have my own thoughts on this. Most of the time, I'm just quoting literature. But this, I have my own personal thoughts because it, it, it was my own personal LDL cholesterol. African-American, I was over age 45, male, all the disadvantages. I was Something bad was going to happen to me when I had an LDL cholesterol of 170 after my kid aged out of national junior tournaments and I wasn't playing tennis twice a day every day. Well, within six weeks of a whole food plant-based diet, my LDL had come down to 90. And six weeks. Six weeks. And it probably, based on subsequently um, published literature, it probably happened within two weeks. It's just that I measured it at six weeks. Gotcha. So the real issue uh, here is, I, I, so I do take the cholesterol stuff personally. Why did that happen to me? Because I had a relatively low cholesterol diet to begin with. Uh, um, that wasn't overloaded compared to an American diet. I was eating consistently chicken and salmon. Now, those individually are high in cholesterol. But they're not, it's not like chicken, salmon, steak, shrimp, lobster, to bacon and eggs, which is your typical American diet if you add up all the lunches and dinners and, and the like. Right. And so what's very clear <clears throat> is that the relationship, and this is where the confusion comes, the relationship between ingested cholesterol and serum cholesterol is very curvilinear. If you're on the low side of it, you have a dramatic response to lowering it. But once you get to a certain point, it flattens out. That response flattens out, and you can go from two eggs a day to seven eggs a day, and there, you don't, wouldn't see any change in your cholesterol. And if you're marketing eggs, 
you do that study and you take advantage of that and then you market that to say that eggs are safe. Well, first of all, there are things other than cholesterol, such as TMAO and, uh, and you know, saturated fats. Right. And there's oh, loads of things in animal products that, that we have to be concerned about. Um, but for that particular issue, uh, it's, it's misleading when people knowingly take advantage of the relationship between the GI concentration, okay, and saturation of the Neiman-Pick absorption enzyme. And all you have to do is just get above a certain level and it won't change. Well, that's, um, you know, scientifically un unfortunate that enough studies have gone out there to make people think that cholesterol doesn't matter when it does. The best science was actually added up by the Institute, Institute of Medicine probably 15 years ago. And their conclusion was the, that people should eat as little cholesterol as possible. And of course, as little as possible is zero. Absolutely. Yeah. Whole food, plant-based diet. Um, what are your thoughts on omega-3, um, in particular, uh, fish oils? Um, that's very commonly prescribed or recommended for people with cardiovascular disease. So we've had uh, sort of an epiphany recently, uh, very large analyses taking into account many, many studies that and adding them up and realizing that there is marginal benefit for people um, in terms of reduction of stroke. Um, but the supplement itself, and you can actually see that with fish compared to meat, for example, you may not decrease your heart attacks, you may not decrease your, your overall death, but you will decrease stroke to some degree. Now, the funny part is that um, the omega-3s do play a role for patients who have severe high triglycerides. And you can actually uh, reduce the triglycerides and there's FDA approved fish oil, you know, one gram to four grams per day. Um, but have we ever, just because the number comes down, have we, do we have good data to say that it improves outcomes? That's where we don't. And so the analysis, and a lot of people have taken this up, um, and you could just, you know, put it in a search engine, fish oil outcomes, and you'd see the papers come up and say, no, we were really, you know, we were misled by improving risk factors, for example, that were really not improving outcomes. Well, am I correct in saying that um, the fish oils can actually make the blood too thin? And cause complications because of that? So that's been known for quite a while that, you know, a lot of the Eskimo population where they're eating a lot of fish, um, ugh, very high omega-3 fatty acid levels, and they would die of intracranial hemorrhage or nosebleeds. Yes, it does impair platelet function. If a person is a smoker eating a lot of sugar that makes your LDL more likely to cause clots, um, you actually may benefit from that uh, because it's going to sort of balance out those things that are making you more coagulable. Uh, but if you if you don't have you know something that's making you hypercoagulable, you don't need something to uh, to thin your blood, and you may suffer for it. Right, right. Um, I've heard you in uh, this morning's talk talk about um, heme iron, and mm -hmm. um, it's very interesting. If you can just kind of touch upon um, just a, re a review of what you were saying about heme iron and if it plays a role in cardiovascular disease. So it's popping up all over everywhere that um, hemoglobin, uh, the center of the four heme uh, molecules um, that make up hemoglobin, is an iron um, molecule. That iron is in an oxidative state that is not favorable to the rest of the circulatory system. And so when you have oxidized iron that you're eating, 
you will end up making uh, oxidized LDL, which makes the foam cells really excited about taking it up, and you end up with more plaque, more unstable plaque, heart attack, stroke, and death. And so heme iron is one of those players that uh, people should pay, pay careful attention to. Um, and it's interesting that people talk about eating animals as if it was one thing. Oh, it's the saturated fat. Oh, it's the ruminants trans fat. Right. Oh, it's the TMAO. It's actually all of the above. And That's one it. of those players is heme iron. So get the iron from plant sources. Yeah, exactly. And it's very commonly recommended as well to go for the heme iron over non-heme iron because it's more absorbable supposedly but um you're absolutely correct in that we have to start looking at food more from a whole standpoint what the whole package looks like and not just from a reductionist standpoint where you're looking at oh well this is high in just saturated fat well it's not it also has the dietary cholesterol the heme iron right. yeah great excellent point um how do you feel about um whole plant fats, talking about avocados, nuts, seeds. Um, generally, I, I would say those are pretty healthy foods, but how do you feel um, for patients who have cardiovascular disease? Because Dr. Esselstyn, who has shown clinical studies reversing it, recommends um, absolutely uh, for people to stay away from those. So what, mm -hmm. are your, what are your thoughts on plant fats? So you might compare, well, to restate the question, is this basically Esselstyn versus Ornish? because awareness does not re restrict, um, and it's low fat, but it's not no fat. Exactly. And wouldn't say avocado a priori, you shouldn't do it. Well, um, I actually recommend a lot of both, and I tend to use the, the principle of the fat you eat is the fat you wear. Yeah, so if that's the case, if someone is overweight, and the, particularly with metabolic syndrome, meaning the, the central obesity, dyslipidemia, hypertension, and insulin resistance, I definitely use Asselstyn. And not, you know, we don't know exactly that the blood vessel damage is going to be so much worse than it would be um, in a, that is in a thin person versus the Ornish diet. But in an obese person, it's going to have such favorable, favorable effects on the risk factors um, that I probably end up using that more often than not. You had a very famous quote, um, and you, you probably know what I'm referring to about um, cardiologists. There's two types. Um, <laughs> could you uh, just um, kind of uh, let people know maybe that who are not familiar with that quote? And also um, just to ask you, like, what you meant uh, when you uh, made that statement. It's so funny that, you know, a lot of my quotes end up, I, I found one of them uh, about uh, that where I said, uh, I don't mind dying at just don't want it to be my fault. And then it's on a coffee mug and a t-shirt. But this one has seemed to have caught more people's attention. And uh, I actually heard the other day, one of the patients came to see me, was seeing one of my colleagues at another university hospital. Um, and she actually quoted my quote to him. And he went like, because <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> he's known me for decades. And, you know, and so what was I really talking about? Um, I ended up, you know, the, the, the quip that if you take the text out of the context, all you're left with is the con. That is true here, okay? That is, I was talking specifically about the need for large randomized trials um, to complement the large observational series. We have Adventist Health. We have uh, uh, the Nurses Health and Health Professional Follow-up, NIHAARP. You have a lot of people doing meta-analyses of small trials. Um, but you really would like to see 
um, large prospect of randomized trials that don't just deal with risk factors or weight. You want to see uh, hard outcomes, heart attack, stroke, and death. Now, having said that, we also want those to be published in the cardiology literature so that they can affect the cardiology community, starting with the practitioners and spreading to the patients. So when I was saying that, it was actually a criticism of our research, okay? That is, we're, I, I do read the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, but most, people, most cardiologists don't, okay? And so if, you're, if you are not exposed to the literature, you don't have a chance to become a vegan because you don't know this stuff is going on. So that actually was generated the quote. Now, what happened to it, it, it came out as a sort of a criticism of the education level. And then we had the, then we had the uh, survey from ACC that showed that, yes, most cardiologists do not know much about nutrition. Uh, and then I had the experience of several of my friends, you know, my age or younger, having heart attack or cardiovascular death as cardiologists. And so now I'm standing behind it. I'm telling every cardiologist that they need to examine the literature. And when they do, invariably, like the 21.75 vegan slash vegetarian cardiologists I have at Rush, That's awesome. when you examine the literature, it makes you change your diet. Right. And I think it really hits hard knowing that even cardiologists are not... Um, you know, invincible when it comes to cardiovascular disease. That's right. And, um, well, I think it's really great that you have 21.75. <laughs> What's with the 7.5? Um, so it's one of my uh, interventionalists. He says he's vegan until 6 p.m. There <laughs> so, you go. There you well, go. Any, I think any any step in the right direction is uh, great. So that's, that's great. But that's amazing that you have so many. Um, we are just a few blocks from the White House. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> if you had... Um, some sort of power or authority um, in in the government system, you could walk right in. Um, what would you change with that power um, about the medical system? So the, the first thing that I would do, uh, well, it's just two first things. Okay. You said the medical system. I thought you were going to talk about healthcare in general. I would say the first thing to do is to get rid of billions of dollars of subsidies for unhealthy foods. So if you take... Uh, some of the foods, I'm not going to go naming brands, uh, but there are some snack foods, let's say. One of them is very famous. One of them, you could actually um, look at the ingredients, and there's 14 different ingredients that are subsidized by the government, all of which are unhealthy. It's high fructose corn syrup, regular corn syrup, corn starch, all this stuff. If you could actually make re reduce the production, okay, of uh, the subsidies for that, that would raise the price. We have actually randomized trials saying that if you raise the price of unhealthy items, their, their use goes down. And so that would be an investment in the future, particularly for our kids, is to get the sugar-sweetened beverages, all sweetened beverages, these the refined sugar, corn syrup, all of this stuff out of the American diet. That would be the best thing that we could do. If we, and that is a government issue. It's not doing something new. It's undoing something old. That whose time I understand that whoever is getting these, you know, uh, high fructose corn syrup uh, subsidies, they're doing it because the money's available and it's good for their county or their state. But you have to look at the overall. We have to look at more, at more in a more patriotic way. We have to look at the overall effect on healthcare in the country.
if I had to do something for the healthcare system, it would be to make it a healthcare system. Right now, it's a sick care system. And Medicare has gone a long way uh, to doing this um, with the new MACRA uh, coming out of uh, the uh, Affordable Care Act, where they have moved or tried to move away from the annual cuts that physicians were getting in payment uh, with, the, with the Medicare fee schedule to trying to have more value-based um, payments. Now, it hasn't taken hold at, at a big way yet. Um, so I tell you, when I have 21 vegan vegetarian cardiologists and we impress somewhere between 40 and 60% of our patients per person to change their diet, that is a, going to translate into a significant decrease in the number of people admitted to the CCU, the stenting, the bypass surgery, okay? They're not coming to the ER with chest pain anymore. Their blood pressure's under control. Their outpatient visits become further and further apart, and you bring them back so you can cut their meds. That's what happens when a patient goes vegan. It would actually kill our cardiology division to take care of patients because the incentives are all reversed. We're, all, we're not doing health care. We're doing sick care. We're paid to, for, to take care of events when they happen instead of prevent them. So if we would need to take what Medicare has started with the alternative, alternative payment models, with bundled payments, and with a, uh, the accountable care organizations and say, okay, Dr. Williams, you've got a nice division. You're doing good quality stuff. We will pay you you know, 80% of what our average cost for your area is for Medicare patients, cardiovascular care. You only get 80%. We're going to keep the other 20%. And then if you are able to reduce the cost further than that, you keep it. That's the kind of insightful um, message that could keep Medicare solvent. You know, I, the last thing I would say is that we really need to get into the minds and hearts of people. I mentioned patriotism because I really believe that. I mean, to let our Medicare system become insolvent in 2026 is just unacceptable. And every person has to take responsibility for that. You need to go to work every day, pay into the Social Security system and, and your Medicare taxes, okay? And then you need to make sure that you personally never benefit from them because you are going to take care of yourself. Uh, and that would that would fix the entire society instead of having this reverse thing. Oh, I can depend on the whole country of wealth to take care of me when I have this stroke that I'm going to eat my way to. Really? Right. Yeah. People have to take some sort of power in themselves too to get themselves educated, to learn how to eat right, and um, eventually prevent themselves from having these complications in the first place. It's a matter of account accountability responsibility, and patriotism. If you can just give people a takeaway, maybe they're suffering from cardiovascular disease, they have high blood pressure, maybe they've had a stroke, what would you um, uh, offer them as a recommendation? So I would say that the most, the most important thing to recognize for secondary prevention, that is a person's already had a heart attack, stroke, they've had their bypass surgery, whatever, okay, is that... They, Erectile dysfunction may not be included because that happens so early. But by the time someone has claudication in their leg and it hurts to walk and they go to the doctor and they find out that the artery is blocked and they get a stent put in there and they're feeling better, within five years, they're going to get a second one. It's either going to be the stroke 
or it's going to be the heart attack. Okay. They run in packs. Okay. And so for secondary prevention, people have to realize that that stent in their leg or the, the 2.5 uh, diameter, 8 millimeter stent that they put in a diagonal artery, that's not going to cure you because there's plaque everywhere. If you're right-handed, the most important artery, in my personal opinion, is your left carotid because that's your speech, that's your understanding, you know, the dominant side, your right-handedness. You've got to protect all of the arteries. And the only way to do that is taking any, whatever medicine that you can get your hand on to lower the cholesterol dramatically. And nowadays, that's the PCSK9 inhibitors and the statins, if you can tolerate them and a whole food plant-based diet and getting yourself onto a cardiac rehab or a neuro rehab program so that you're exercising and get that exercise up. I would say, personally, anybody who's at risk ought to be doing the 300 minutes of high intensity or moderate intensity exercise per week. Hard to do after a stroke, but you can get there if you really work at it with, uh, with physical therapy. Excellent. Um, and then to wrap this up, um, I was just wondering if you can give people an idea of what a normal day of eating looks like for you so they can kind of have it in their head of what type of foods they should be looking at and, and eating ultimately. So I'm going to flip that question around uh, because I've been correctly criticized as a, you know, as a data file. <laughs> okay. That's a P-H-I-L. Uh-huh. And uh, F-I-L-E. Okay. I, I get all this data and I love getting the data. And all the data that I look at is what not to eat. So you got to talk to somebody else about what they should be eating. I, I do a terrible job personally. <laughs> and so I end up losing weight all the time because I'm not eating enough. I'm really focusing on that. I'm trying to learn from people about uh, what to eat uh, within a whole food plant-based diet. I would say the one thing that I've learned in the last few weeks is that if I'm going to exercise 300 minutes a week, um, and I'm going to work my job the way I do it, I have to change some things. And so I actually have to bring food with me, probably eat six times a day. If I do that, I can, I can, I actually have with the uh, help from an assistant since I'm single, getting, you know, getting to the point where I'm getting the weight to be positive again. So I've gone up probably about, you know, six pounds in the last few weeks. Um, but, but there's another comment here, which I think is more important. The, who is it that's supposed to tell us what to eat? It's our nutritionists. Not, I mean, and these are certified people who have gone to school at a high level. And when you talk to them, you have a handful, just a handful of plant-based nutritionists. And that's something that really needs to change. That is, the science is out there. We want not just nutrition science and management of diabetes to get your hemoglobin A1C down below 7. Yes, that's great, but that's not, we, that's not the end all. It's not just control of risk factors. It's not even just getting people out of diabetic trouble so that they don't go to the hospital. This is about extending lives and having those lives be not managed, but really healthy. Um, and so if we really, if we're, if we're going to do this, we need to enlist the entire cardiovascular team. That includes having a nutritionist who knows the literature on plant-based nutrition and what it can do for all of our risk factors, mortality, heart attack, stroke. Absolutely. <clears throat> That's the whole reason why I went into nutrition. I got my master's and um, I've had some years of experience. I'm still fairly early in my career, but I've worked in hospitals and I could tell you that the time spent with nutritionists and dietitians has been very limited in the, yep. in the treatment process. Right. I saw doctors come and go, specialists come and go, but 
nutritionists, there's very little time. And so I absolutely agree that we should, um, patients should be spending more time with nutritionists going over diet because like we were talking about, it has such a powerful role when it comes to prevention and treatment of diseases. Absolutely. So, um, well, congrats on that. And we're looking forward to the impact you're going to have on your colleagues. Thank you so much. Um, just curious, you still playing tennis? Playing tennis more and more. There you <laughs> so, go. That's awesome. So, uh, I, I really <clears throat> do try to get out there. That's, and that, that is the major reason, you know, probably the, 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 the most fun that I get is hanging out with my grandkids. And the second most is being on a tennis court. And so I, I just have to get out there as much as I can. It's all about having fun. If you love what you're doing, you know you're going to be spending time out there. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. And Absolutely. it was a pleasure. My pleasure. All right. All right. Great. Take care. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of This Is Bananas. To learn more about this episode, check out the show notes over at Bananiac.com. That's B-A-N-A-N-I-A-C.com. If you're looking for easy and nutritious plant-based recipes to make at home, you can download my ebook, Bananiac Simple Vegan Recipes, from my website as well. It includes 25 of my favorite whole food plant-based recipes that I make and eat every day and will hopefully help you eat more whole plant-based meals as well. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please rate it wherever you're listening to it. Share this episode with someone who could benefit from it. Leave a comment with your thoughts and subscribe to This Is Bananas as well as my YouTube channel Bananiac, which you can find at youtube.com slash Bananiac. This helps me become more discoverable and ultimately reach more people with my work. If you'd like to donate, please visit patreon.com slash Bananiac. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast and supporting the one man band that I am. Until next time, everyone, take care of yourself spread the word and we'll see you in the next episode. Peace.